Hey guys, what's going on? It's Corey from Lean Green Dad Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we've got Ruby Roth, a wonderful author and the author of the Help Yourself Cookbook for Kids and just a great bunch of books. I can't wait for you to meet her. Let's go. Everybody, welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. From sunny Orlando, Florida, this is Lean Green Dad Radio, the podcast that provides fuel for families. And now, here's your host, Corey Warren. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lean Green Dad Radio. We are so proud to be brought to you by the Parents on Demand Network, which is an app with a ton of great parental podcasts. So go check them out over at parentsondemand.com. In fact, there's a pretty cool show, uh, Double Happiness Multiplied. Double happiness meaning twins or triplets or quadruplets. Whatever you have, this is a show that is really cool. Uh, you can hear from birth experts and uh, parents who share their stories on having multiple little babies. Um, also, make sure you subscribe and review us in the iTunes store if possible. That means so much, and it really helps keep the show going strong. Um, we're going to get started with our guest in just a minute, but before we get started, who the heck am I? Well, my name's Corey. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a vegan dad. I'm a plant-based dad, in fact. Um, all those kind of things fit my description. And um, if it's your first time hearing us, then you rock. Uh, I'm so glad that you're tuning in. Um, you know, I, here's what I do, guys. I make quick and easy uh, plant-based meal plans for, for busy families, just like me. Um, each week, I talk to some of the most inspiring folks that I can find. Help me stay motivated to stay fit, eat healthy, and really get the most out of life as a busy parent. You know, for me, finding time to work out and make healthy, quick meals for me and my family and spend quality time together, it's a balance and it's pretty tough, especially when you are overscheduled, like most of us are. So for me, uh, I, I like to talk to these folks and just grab some gold nuggets of information that I can share with you to help you and your plant-based family thrive. Um, now, today's guest, holy cow, um, Ruby Roth. I was kind of star-studded when... I met her and reached out to her. I asked her a question a long time ago, and I was just like a super fan, and um, she answered it. She answered my question, believe it or not. She addressed it in one of her email newsletters, and it was so cool. And uh, here I am today, and I get to interview her, so I was just so happy. Um, Ruby came and uh, joined on as part of the Plant-Based Parenting Summit, which we did earlier this summer. And if you missed it, it's okay. Don't worry. We're going to make it available again. We're just not sure when and how, but it will be available. Uh, just stay tuned to leangreendad.com. But hey, you're going to get to hear Ruby's full interview right now. Um, and she was just a wonderful guest. She's written a ton of great books for, you know, veganism and kids. And uh, her latest one, The Help Yourself Cookbook for Kids, just wonderful. It's a cookbook that's literally written for kids. And, um, you know, if you're trying to explain veganism to your kids or you're trying to just make it a little bit more friendly and not so serious, then uh, Ruby's really cool. She's got some good books. So check her out. Um, and, and that's it. All right. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview with the wonderful Ruby Roth. Today, we are welcoming well-known author and vegan hero, Ruby Roth. Thank you so much for joining us, Ruby. How are you? 
I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, um, there there's a lot of folks out there like me who have all of your books, including the cookbook. In fact, look, I've got it right here. The Help you. Yourself Cookbook. I love it. Um, I and- say it's for it's design. Looks like it's designed for children, but it's for busy or lazy adults. It is. It is. And we'll we'll talk about that because there is one thing in there that you write to parents that I love at the very end and I want to talk about that. Um, but first, I want to give you a chance to, to kind of introduce yourself to some folks that, um, you know, might, might not be aware of you just yet. Um, like I said, folks, I have all four. Um, I think it's four, right? Yeah. No, th- yeah, four. All four of your books. Um, I couldn't find the other three because they're lost in the book shuffle in <laughs> the, the mess of the rooms that my kids have. Um, but uh, go ahead and just just give us a, a quick start about how you kind of fell into this world and and what you're doing now. I am an artist. I was always going to be an artist, and I wanted to create art that had a purpose. I was more interested in that than being um, an artist, a gallery artist that was you know pro- purely expressionistic. Um, So when I graduated college, I came back down to LA where I'm from and I was teaching art at an after-school program and I was already vegan at the time, you know, for probably several, had been for several years. And the kids started asking me questions about what I was eating and not eating. And I went to go look for a book that I could bring in and we could talk about and share and maybe do an art project on. And what I found were very few books, first of all, and what was out there was about a talking animal or a talking vegetable, which I thought A, took away from the very rich emotional lives of the animals that we could actually talk about, and also B, from um, children's intelligence and what they're capable of understanding. So I have a social justice background as well as an art background, and that was a moment where I decided to put those two things together and create the books that I wanted to read to my students. And not not only did you write them, but you also illustrated them. And I think um, your illustrations they're they're so they're so you. Like when you see there's there's such a nice through line with all of your books. Um, and you know, guys, uh, talking to your kids about veganism, plant based, whatever you want to call it, guys. Because well, let's let's talk about the difference between plant based and vegan, right? So vegan, you know, Ruby, you correct me if I'm wrong, but vegan, in my opinion, is is tied to the animal. Uh, well-being uh, very specifically and is kind of overarching, right? It, it was one of the hottest terms of like 2017, 2018. So it is trending, right? You see a lot of brands putting it on as a yep, marketing it's, thing. It's actually the fastest growing food category in the market. Which I love, which I love. Um, we're seeing a lot of things like the vegan, you know, Beyond Burgers and stuff like that hit the market. So it is becoming easier than ever to eat this way. But, um, you know, when, when you're focusing on plant-based, to me, I think plant-based seems to be a bit, um, a bit more broad, um, a bit more generic. Um, but to me, I, and I think you reference this in, in your most recent cookbook, it's vegan, plant-based, whatever you want to call it. But, um, and we were talking before the show, it's all good. Like, it's all a good thing. Um, yeah, you know, I think this is a, a large shift that our entire culture is, is leaning toward as we educate ourselves about the benefits and the motives behind it and, and the particular time and place that we find ourselves in, the context of our era um, with all the problems that we face from um, mental health to physical health to environmentalism to water, waste, and 
um, energy, all, all, everything, everything across the board. So as people start to understand it, I think um, we're kind of seeing this use of the word vegan and then people who know that they don't know all the motives, so they're more comfortable just saying plant-based because they know they're not exercising you know, all of the practices. So in either case, um, I, I see a big shift in the markets leaning toward plant-based lifestyles. Yeah, me too. It, it just seems like everybody seems to be a bit more receptive. And I mean, even in, even in my, my books and my stuff that I put together, I use the word plant-based a lot more than vegan. But um, if someone were to ask me, I mean, obviously it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all good. Like yeah. it's all about love anyway. So uh, whatever you want to, whatever you need to label me as, like that's totally cool. I just yeah. don't need, I don't need animals. So whatever that yeah. is. Um, I want to take a section from your, your latest cookbook here, okay? Um, and it's perfect for what we're talking about. So this, folks, she, she writes the whole book to kids, basically. It's a kid's book, um, and it's written so kids can understand and kids can follow along and stuff. So instead of saying, like, a dash of this or a dash of that, it's like, hey, shake, shake, shake this on top, you know, uh, which I love. But it talks about a plant-based diet, more broadly, veganism, is about protecting the things we love and value. The benefits extend even beyond the practicalities of health and saving animals in the environment to our behavior in the world. Um, when you wrote your book, uh, Vegan is Love, I think that one is probably one of my favorites that helps talk to a kid who might be wanting to explore veganism or thinks they want to be vegan, but they don't really know what it means, right? So this is the thing that I wanted to really get into with you is like, if you have a child that approaches you, you are, a, let's say you're a meat eating, a meat eating family. Um, all you've ever known is just a Western diet and your child comes to you. I get a couple videos sent to me every couple months uh, of kids that they record, the parent records the child talking to them about, okay, you're saying you want to be vegan. What does that mean? Do you, mm -hmm. what about eggs? Don't you like eggs? Yeah, but what are they made out of? Like they're, they're baby chicks, right? Or whatever. Um, or um, there they come from chickens. Um, those types of things, how do you approach that conversation from the very start with your child? When a child is, is saying they want to be vegan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, I think that's, that's an opportunity for the parent to really do a lot of good listening and, and have a conversation with them, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's ever too early to begin learning how our choices affect the public realm. So when a child has an inclination toward practices that help us live better, um, not only in our own bodies, but creating the kind of culture of peace and um, life force energy instead of death force energy that we see so much of all the time, um, I think you start, you start including them in whatever you're learning. Um, that's how I, I spoke to my students, my former students. I was still learning at the time, and any time I learned something new, I would say, hey, check this out. This is what I learned about food, or this is what I learned about the animal agriculture industry. Can you believe this? Like, this is what's happening. Um, and so I don't think anything has to be too tailored for a child's brain. If they don't understand something, they'll ask more questions about it, or the conversation will continue and continue. Um, as time goes on, but I think it's it's a great opportunity to learn the the surprising benefits of veganism for kids is is that it doesn't only benefit your physical and mental well being 
um, but it makes a child more aware of how they treat others and their position in the world. So it kind of serves as an otherwise absent initiation that we don't have in our culture to say, hey, here you are in the planet. You are part of a community of living beings. We are watching you, you are watching us, and we expect you to do right by us, and we will do right by you. And so I think it's great when a kid realize, has, has an inclination towards something like that, and you answer to it and bring them up in it. Now, if, if the parent, again, in this particular situation, might not be vegan, um, I, I think it would be really cool for the parents just try it out with a kid, right? Um, and there's, there's some basic things that they could do, right? I, I feel like people think it's this huge mind shift, right? Like, if I don't eat meat, what am I going to eat? Um, of well, course- that's a, it's a subtractive way of thinking instead of thinking about what you're adding in. So my primary advice to people wanting to make the transition is don't think about taking anything away at first. You want to just add more things in. And the good stuff is going to start crowding out the stuff that actually makes you feel not so great. Yeah. I feel like the plate, you know, if you look at the plate, it's like 75%, you know, protein or meat, basically. You got like 5% vegetables and those are like potatoes, French fries, right? Right. Um, very, very little fruit. So if we can balance that plate, you know, get like even the, even the government, the USDA guidelines or whatever, um, with the, uh, you know, a 20, 25% fruits, 25%, um, protein, whatever that means to you, uh, 25% carb or not carbs, uh, fruits, veggies, uh, whole grains and protein, fruits, veggies, whole grains and protein, 25% of each of those. I think that works. Um, I don't think you need to overthink it though. I just think that um, you just got to find those foods that you and your kids both love and incorporate them, right? Um, yeah, and and a lot of it. You know, I think sometimes people don't think uh, that a salad is a full meal. You can make a salad a full meal and pack pack in all kinds of things and all kinds of colors. Um, and it takes a while. There's a learning curve for someone to say, oh, that, that actually does fill me up. I'm eating enough of it. I can eat an entire cucumber. Whereas before I, t- you know, took just a couple slices off, you can eat the whole thing. You're going to feel full and satisfied. And maybe at first, if you don't, that also takes some time for your body to adjust. Yeah. Your body's getting a lot more fiber, a lot more nutrients. That fiber makes you go to the bathroom and that's okay. That's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, talk to me about, um, prep in the kitchen and involving your kids. Um, and actually before we do that, we talked about salads. I want to talk about the different kinds of greens in your experience that, um, kids have been more open to, to giving a try. Right. Um, for me, like my kids, they love the, the taste of like an iceberg type of thing. But for me, iceberg has like no nutritional value. So I'm not going to bring that into my family, but I think like a romaine, like a long leaf romaine, if you dice that up. It can, it can very easily, you know, take the place of an iceberg. Um, but what other greens for you do you feel like um, kids are like more receptive to, especially when they're starting out? And then we can maybe get them to the, the big scary kale, right? It's not. Well, I think, I think kale is one of the best things to get into first because the way I, um, the way I make it and the way I show how to make it in the cookbook is saturating it with olive oil until it gets really soft. It's almost the same as if you sauteed it. Um, one of the ways you can do that is by putting it in a bowl and mashing it up with your hands. You kind of massage the olive oil 
into the leaves of the kale. And that is a great job to hand over to your kid because that's basically, a, you know, it feels like a fun, get your hands dirty art project that kids like to do. And you don't even have to talk about whether they're going to taste it or not. If you have them make it enough times and it's their job to add the stuff and mash it up and um, massage it up, then eventually they're going to, you know, they're going to lick a finger. They're going to you know, have a little bite here or there. It's really hard to resist tasting something that you've prepared yourself. So, you so I don't think, I don't think people have to be scared of kale. I think right it's, it's, that's one of, if you can get right to kale, then everything else in between your iceberg lettuce and kale kind of falls into place. Right on. And so after kale though, what do you, what do you think? Maybe a spinach? Um, I think spinach is a good idea. Tot soy, um, which are, you know, little leaves. Yeah. Kids like little things that appeals to them, things that they can hold and play with. Um, I have some recipes in the book, you know, where you take, you know, the leaf popper recipe, which is just, you know, like a little bit of seed cheese or seed cream cheese. Um, on a leaf and they get to, you know, pinch it up and eat it bite by bite. Kids like that kind of little stuff. So, you know, that's anything. That's arugula, which, which you think kids don't like because it's strong. But anything, anything you raise a kid on and, and start introducing into the routine over and over and over again will begin to be normalized. And I think it's important for parents to remember that there's no universal kid food that around the world, kids eat what their culture raises them on. So, mm. you know, there's little teeny kids eating spicy kimchi and jalapenos and all kinds of stuff in their cultures. And we think that's weird here and that kids don't like it. It's an absolute myth. Yeah. We, we teach them not to like certain things by our reaction, like, ooh, you going to try this and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the ambivalence creates a certain atmosphere that kids pick up on, whether you're saying anything or not. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so we, we always get this question all the time about nutrition, right? How to get the proper nutrition and are our kids getting the proper nutrition? Um, you know, what do you, what do you say about nutrition? I mean, I, I don't think you're a dietitian or a licensed dietitian or nutritionist. I'm not either. Right. So like, what, what is it that you say about that concern for parents as they're, they're starting off on this, this diet? I'm the type of vegan that is leans toward raw food and superfoods. I don't purchase um, much processed soy or, or um, faux meats. So I have a largely, and, and what I recommend to people so that they feel the best and there's more chance of longevity in the practice is to incorporate whole foods and superfoods. So there's, um, that's what's in my book. Um, they're all familiar ingredients plus superfoods like spirulina and goji berries and coconut oil. Um, I like the medicinal mushroom powders like the reishi and um, the maitake and the chaga, chaga turkey's tail. There's so many. And that's what I eat. That's what I eat. I, I find ways to put it in my smoothies. And um, so I, I do think there's there's a learning curve when you get into veganism that, you know, you can just cut things out and then you're left with the standard American diet minus meat and dairy, which leaves you nothing upon nothing. So you do want to get nutrient dense foods into your diet and that we all know the, the whole food, you know, you can go to the produce section 
you know those whole foods, and then you want to start reading into um, the other nutrients that are important for everybody. 50 to, I've seen up to 90% of Americans are deficient in B12 and D. Um, so as you transition to veganism and, and you start reading the cookbooks and, and understanding why people are including certain foods, then you start incorporating these foods into your diet and you're getting more nutrition um, than most everybody in America. Yeah. And why do you think people are, you know, deficient in those things? I mean, we're, we're talking about all people, not just, not just vegans, uh, D, B12, these are things that they're deficient in. Why, why is that? Well, B12 is a um, bacteria-based vitamin. Our, the soil, everything is degraded. Our soil is degraded. The seeds we're using to plant food are degraded. So um, we're not getting B12 because everything's over-sanitized. We would have been getting it had we been you know, eating carrots straight out of the ground in the little grooves. Um, but we don't have that anymore. And it, if there is soil in there, it's not the most nutrient dense soil either. Um, so our, the standard American diet is so deficient in minerals that a lot of the food is actually you know, full of, of additives. And um, you know, you'll see, you'll get your milk and it'll say you know, the, the addition of iron and it's because there's nothing in there to begin with. Right. Um, and so as you transition to plant-based, you start getting those things, not from vitamins, which are, you know, usually um, isolated. They come from synthetic. You know, I, I know I, when I realized what the vitamin industry is and how um, it's so awful, like most of them are overseas because they can't pass United States regulations. They cause tremendous amounts of pollution. And I remember, you know, my idea of a vitamin, you know, vitamin C even is like, oh, they, you know, it's like dried pineapple. <laughs> they, you're getting the essence of that. It's, it's nowhere. It's chemical upon chemical to make these supplements. And so I recommend getting them from food you're eating. The cofactors are in there. It's built in naturally. Everything you need is, comes together in that food. Talk to me about some staples, some things that you absolutely have to have in your kitchen. And, you know, people like you and me, we have random things that other folks might not have, like ginger powder, um, you know, maca, um, weird things, blue algae, right? We might have that stuff in our pantry. But if you're just starting off in this lifestyle and you're kind of transitioning or you're, you're learning, um, what are the things that you have to have? Like maybe, I don't know, I'm putting you on the spot here, but like maybe like your top five things that you have to have in your pantry to get started. Okay, by no by no order of importance, but um, I love a good olive oil. Um, I need a good salt, whether that's um, a sea salt or um, liquid aminos like Bragg's, which is kind of a soy sauce. Um, if you don't like soy, there's um, alternative um, in coconut aminos that are on many shelves now. Um, I need a spirulina. I love um, Health Force Nutritionals and that brand, and also everything from Longevity Warehouse. How do you use How do you use spirulina? Because I, I, mean, I put it in my smoothies, um, a sprinkle, so it'll turn the whole thing green pretty quickly. Um, and then I also sprinkle it on salads, and I will put it on popcorn too. I love. Awesome. I've been eating. I haven't been a huge popcorn fan, but it's like 
in my snack repertoire at the moment, but go. I cover it in spirulina and turmeric. Nice. And I really love that. Um, so spirulina is definitely a staple and the blue green algaes. Um, those are on my top shelves and, and in use all the time. Uh, what was that? Three? I think that's four. You, you got one more. <laughs> um, I always have some kind of probiotic in the fridge. There you so go. Whether it's like a vegan yogurt or um, a kimchi or pickled, any kind of pickled things that are um, probiotic based. Now, some people are probably just like, wait a minute, did she just say vegan yogurt? There are so many awesome vegan yogurts out there, folks. You've got um, Kite Hill is one of my favorite almond yeah. yogurts. Um, so delicious. Has a coconut one. It's kind of like ice cream, if you ask me. Um, and then you've got um, a couple others. What else? What else is out there's there? There's all kinds. There's rice-based. There's coconut-based. Yeah, there's yeah. almond-based. There's cashew-based. Um, and then there's some on the shelves without any sugar. Um, because, you know, that balance of probiotics and you're adding sugar kind of doesn't make sense all the time. Yeah. Um, but, and then sometimes I like to uh, spree for, you know, the really expensive raw coconut yogurts. Um, you know, sometimes that's 20 bucks for a jar, but that's what I like and that's what I prioritize. And um, every once in a while, I'll go for that. I love it. Um, so when it comes to like the prepackaged convenience foods, um, you know, the stuff that's on the shelf with the, you know, got a little minion on the front or whatever, something to get the kid to say, Hey mommy, I want to buy that. Uh, not, not knowing anything about what's in it. How do you, how do you get your kids away from that? Uh, and, and trying, you know, the actual food in its rawest form, um, you know, thinking of strawberries as a snack instead of, you know, just kind of a random, a random gummy. And I'm not saying that like all prepackaged food is bad, but how do you how do you cross that bridge? Well, I love that you brought up the cartoon character because that is a marketing tool that's used and understood um, very deeply by the industry for getting kids' attention. You know, to the point where they're placed on certain shelves that are more at eye level with kids, and usually the eyes of the character, they figured out the exact angle of where the pupil should be to make eye contact. It's down to a science. So I love introducing kids to that fact alone um, and, and kind of introduce, kids love good guy, bad guy stories and not that we're creating any bad guys, but I like introducing them to the idea that there's a game going on and the companies are trying to get your attention and this is how they do it. Can you believe that? Does that work on you? Yes or no? And then we talk about it. Um, so. I think getting to the underbelly of things and really discussing everything with kids is one entryway to get them to understand the larger picture that they're a part of. And as far as getting them to try new foods, it's you have to fill your fridge with the stuff that you want them to eat and you have to stop buying the other stuff. And eventually, they're going to eat it. I think a lot of parents are really ambivalent. They don't want to come up against that moment where the kid is crying or having a tantrum or I want my this or that. Sometimes you have to go through that. In France, there is no, there's no culture of tantrums over food. You're, you eat what you are given or you don't eat. And if you're hungry for a night, then that's your problem. That's a different culture than we have in America. We are much more, um, you know, 
we kind of beat around the bush and we're scared to engage and we're scared to say this is how it is. Now, I'm not saying like create conflict in your house, but there might be a little bit of tension that you have to work through to get to the other side. But if you are filling your fridge and you're involving kids and when you take them to the grocery store, say, hey, go grab me three of those. You pick which ones you want, um, whatever it is. You give them jobs and you start involving them in the responsibility. Um, it becomes a culture of the household that they're, they participate in over time. Yeah, I love that. Um, my kids use it as manipulation. <laughs> they, they say they're hungry right before bed. They're like, oh, I'm so hungry. You don't mean to go to bed starving, daddy, do you? I'm like, actually, you're going to be fine. <laughs> you will be fine. It's just fine. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk about those picky eaters just for a quick second. So if you have a picky eater, how do you handle that? I mean, we're, we're introducing all these great things to our kids and stuff. And maybe it's just as simple as saying like, yo, if you're not going to eat this, like this is dinner. Too bad, so sad. See you later. Um, but that also is, we that's a big, it's one of the biggest things you can do if you look at any, you know, tips for feeding picky kids. Eventually you have to get to that point, which is like, this is what there is. You don't have to eat it, but there isn't anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, and I get a lot of email from families with picky kids who got my cookbook and they brought it home. And the first reaction of the kid looking through it is, ew, gross. I don't want this. And then they keep the book around. They keep it around in the kitchen. It's on the coffee table. And within a couple of weeks, the kid is earmarking the recipes that they want to make. It just takes time and you have to go through the little bit of difficulty and the bumps in the road and be patient. It usually takes about 10 times of tasting something to start for a person and a kid especially to start adjusting to a new flavor and liking something that maybe they spit out at first, but it does happen. Taste is a learned phenomenon. Hmm. Um, you know, I want to talk about how um, when your books came out, you got a lot of flack about sharing the way that things are, really are. And now I, in the animal industry specifically, um, I mean, folks, you, you know, there's, there's been documentaries out there, whether it be, you know, I can't even think, like Cowspiracy, but there's other ones. Um, what, is the, what is the one that talks specifically about the factory farming education? Have you seen that one? Yeah, there's so many now. Yeah, there's, there's so many. Um, but I think that it's important to understand, and if you look this, if you Google interviews with Ruby, you'll, you'll see some of her stuff from like, I don't know, ABC or CNN or wherever it was. But the media trying to paint you as this person that's showing this violence to kids, right? And it has nothing to do with that. It comes from a place of love. And um, I just want, I want to give you a second to just kind of talk about that and, and people's perceptions and their initial kind of fears and how we need to kind of adjust our thinking and be a little bit more open and not so defensive. Because for so long, we've been taught one thing by, by maybe our grandma, maybe our, our parents about how things are. And um, those people that are teaching us are completely blind and unaware to the way that things actually are. And I think that um, I just wanted to hear you talk about that because again, that's one of the things that really shines for me when I, when I look at you and do the research on you and read your books. Well, the media response, and it was their job to create conflict, was to say 
these topics, veganism, animal agriculture, this is too controversial to talk about with kids. And my standpoint was if it's too scary to talk about, then it's too scary to participate in, it's too scary to eat it. Um, and also my opinion is that we raise a much stronger kid by bringing up tough issues that maybe some people would otherwise avoid talking through them and teaching our kids how to manage their inner lives and process emotions. The other counterpoint and included in every page of my book is an affirmation about our personal agency. And so I teach that we do not have to be afraid of anything that we have the power to change. That's the message in these books. So I don't see children who are upset by the information in my books, whether it's um, the truth about how the humankind has come to abuse animal kind, um, or about pollution, or about animal testing. I can talk to kids, they can process it, and when we give them a way to understand how this is happening and what we can do about it, then there isn't any fear. There's power and there's agency and, and there's a desire to participate in making things better because kids' first question is why? Why are we doing this? And the answer is not everybody knows and not everybody cares. And that's the truth. That's a question that comes up a lot when kids go vegan is they'll look at their aunt and uncle who still eat meat and they'll ask mom, you know, why does Auntie Mary eat meat? Maybe she doesn't know what you know or she doesn't care, and that's the truth. And that's why it's so important for you to care. And that's why it's important that you take what you know and keep learning and share it with other people. And so we all grow these ideas together. Yeah, I love it. Um, what, are you, what are you up to now? What, what's next for you? When's, when's your next book coming out? Are you working on another book? Are you kind of taking a break for a little bit? What's going on? Um, I am always an artist, so I've, I've, I'm always designing. Um, I actually had my personal artwork, which has been on the back burner for a long time, so I'm bringing that to the front burner. And I have some news that there is going to be a new book on the way. Ooh. Um, we're looking at fall 2019, so I'm about to get really busy and put my nose to the grindstone and um, work that one out. Great. Can't wait. Can't wait. I'm uh, super excited to follow everything you're doing. And uh, we're, we're a huge fan. Our, our whole family is a huge fan of yours. And uh, Thank you. we hope to see more great stuff from you, the amazing Ruby Ra. Thank you for coming on and being part of the Plant-Based Parenting Summit. Thank you. And thanks for all the work you do and everybody out there who's doing work as well. Hey guys, what's up? Corey back in the studio. Thank you so much for making it through another episode of Lean Green Dad Radio. But hey, don't let your experience end here. We've got a free 30-day trial for our plant-based recipes. You can check it out on the homepage of leangreendad.com. Also, I'd love for you to follow us. Follow us on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, Instagram. We've even got a YouTube channel. I'd love for you to join us in however you consume your social media. And uh, geez, guys, um, until next time, I, I sincerely thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Um, until next week, this is it. Keep going that extra mile for your family. See you later.